Thank you for tuning in to the Radio Bible Course. We're studying Hebrews chapter 8, and I'm reading again from verse 1. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the sanctuary, and the true tent, which is set up not by man, but by God. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, Hence it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly sanctuary. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God to saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry which is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. Let me ask a question to bring out the truth of what the author is emphasizing here. With what were the Levitical priests concerned? The real thing? No, only a copy of the real thing. Now that's all brought out in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, which says, For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of those things, can never by the same sacrifices year by year which they offer continually make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins? And of course, the expected answer, and yes, they would have ceased to have been offered. Now, the law was like a shadow cast on the earth by something real in heaven. Shadows are not the genuine object, of course, we know that. They are immaterial representations. But somewhere there is the real body that is the basis or the substance of the shadow. Now, if we as Christians give attention to the law, which was a shadow, then we are playing with shadows instead of observing the real thing. That's another reason why Christians are not under law. We who believe in Jesus Christ have trusted in the genuine Savior of the world, and we have no need for shadows. Now, our author's statement about a genuine tabernacle in heaven corresponds to the thinking of that great 4th century B.C. philosopher, Plato. He believed that material things on earth were but copies of divine things. And one wonders if God gave him some revelation concerning this. It's amazing that he knew what the writer here is telling us. Plato looked at a chair, for example, on the earth, and he said, somewhere in the heavens is a true, perfect chair. What we have here on the earth are mere imperfect copies of the real thing. This was Plato's doctrine of ideas, and he was close to the truth. Now, Paul warned the believers in Colossae, 
to stay away from rules about food and drink or festivals or a new moon or a Sabbath. And he said, these are only a shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. You'll find that in Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Before writing that conclusion, Paul wrote that Christ canceled the bond which stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And I believe here he is talking about the law because he talks about the legal demands. Now, what does nailing something to the cross signify? It means that the law was made as dead as Jesus Christ was made dead by the crucifixion. Where does it ever say that the law was resurrected after it was nailed to the cross? It doesn't. So those people who insist on following the law today are not being realistic. The law was made dead. It was made obsolete. It was canceled or annulled by God himself. Now in verse 5, the author, to support his point, quotes Exodus 25 40. Listen to what he writes. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly sanctuary. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. And here, of course, he's talking about Mount Sinai. That's where the instruction was given concerning the tabernacle. Moses was shown a pattern, and that implies a genuine original in the heavens. If the tabernacle, its ceremonies, and its priests were only copies of the true, it is apparent that true worship lies beyond the forms which are found in Judaism, and found in the Old Testament, of course. The true believer under the law became aware, then, of the spiritual significance of these shadows. In the New Testament age, by contrast, we are given no pattern for religion. There are some generalizations given to us in the epistles, but no details as they were under the law. Think of it. There is given no place to worship in the New Testament. No rituals. No rules, except the rule of liberty. No laws, except the law of love. No priests, except the one in heaven. No holy days. No demands on money or giving. No altars. No building. And no sacrifices, except the giving of yourself. Obviously, then, the believer is not under law. He is under grace. If God desired the New Testament believer to be under law, he would have been as precise as he was with Moses. And if he wanted us to follow the laws of Moses, all this which we have been studying would not have been written. If God did intend for the New Testament believer to be under the law, he would have spelled it out. And if that were the case, the New Testament would contain an elaboration of the pattern for us to copy. 
Beware of men who establish forms to follow, which God has not given. God would have given us instruction for worship, where to worship, when to worship, and how to worship. Jesus said, however, in John chapter 4, verse 24, that neither in Mount Gerizim nor in Jerusalem is the place where men will worship. He said, but the hour is coming, and now is when men will worship God in the Spirit. God is Spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in Spirit and in truth. But He gave nothing physical concerning worship. You see, New Testament worship is from the heart in the Spirit. And where can you do that? Wherever your heart is. You may attend a Sunday meeting called a worship service with its prayers, songs, a choir, perhaps a responsive reading, a collection, and an organ offertory along with a sermon, but who can say whether that is worship? It's only worship if you are worshiping. You see, a service can't be worship. Worship comes from the heart of living beings. Worship is exalting God in praise and thanksgiving. It is bowing before our Maker and giving Him praise, honor, and glory, for He alone is worthy. Worship focuses on Jesus Christ, the one God has honored and sent into the world and unless we honor him, we do not honor the Father. There is no worship service in any church which worships God apart from Jesus Christ. And if Jesus is not worshipped, then God is not worshipped. Jesus said it that way. He insisted that's the way it would be. Read John chapter 5. You'll get that message. Now, how do our hymns worship God? I've noticed that very few hymns praise God. Check out your hymn book. The choir may make beautiful sounds, but if its words are not understood clearly by the audience, how can it be worship? I fear, dear friends, that much of our church music is nothing more than entertainment. Oh, they mean to worship God, but if you're not getting the message... It can't be called worship. Not many churchgoers would continue to come if we stopped the music, of course, because music has become part of the tradition of the Christian religion. The preaching of the Word of God is not enough for most people. But that is what the Lord has given us. That's our message. Think of it. He left the apostles no money, no property or buildings, he gave them no fundraising plan, no building plan, no horses or camels to speed them on their way. They were given no retirement plan or rest home on the Sea of Galilee, nor were they left even a small boat to cross the sea to reach villages on the other side. But Christ did leave them something far more valuable. He prayed to the Father in John 17, about the treasure he gave them. He said, I have given them the words which you gave me. And then he said, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word 
is truth. Now, if a worship service focuses on the Word of God, it will sanctify people. It'll set them apart for God. And if it isn't doing that, when will it? I'll tell you when. It's when the living Word of God permeates your mind and you believe it to the point where Christ becomes everything to you. When you can say as Thomas did, My Lord and my God. Because we are not under the law but under grace, God has not given us a law book. Christianity is not a regulated way to live. God gave us his Spirit who brings liberty. This Spirit of the living God was sent not only to replace the ascended Christ as our Counselor, but also to replace the law of Moses. The Spirit gives life. Moses' law brought condemnation and death. So Paul wrote that we are ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Christianity today has become very much like Judaism in the Old Testament, with its holy days, rituals, ceremonies, and an illegal priesthood. Not only do we have a clergy class, which the New Testament does not recognize, but we also dress them differently from the other Christians. They wear robes, clerical collars, and crosses to somehow distinguish them from the priesthood of believers. All these activities are like shadows. The law system was a display of shadows about the coming one, Jesus Christ. But the Christian faith is not a religion of more shadows. It is Christ in us the hope of glory. Until next week, this is Nick Calipoto reminding you that the word gospel means good news.